Thank you, Eric and worship team. Um, just wanted to say I really appreciated uh, what you shared uh, at the beginning because um, we, we can all get in where we come and just sing songs and we almost aren't paying attention to what we're singing. And so those thoughts uh, actually helped me to focus on the way, the truth, and the life, that song. And then uh, as we just sang, Shelter, it's a little bit newer to us, right? But I, I hope that you'll see that theme running through um, the message this morning. I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name is Buddy Lyles. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. And um, just glad to be with you as the new year begins and, um, and need you as the new year begins. We all need one another. And so not only don't get overly anxious about being behind on resolutions or whatever, but, but don't, don't go for the myth of, hey, you just need to figure it out, suck it up, and, and do this all on your own. We're, in, we're intended to do um, life together in community that the Lord put us in. So um, we are continuing, if you could throw up the first slide there with um, Forrest Gump on it, um, we're continuing uh, our short series that we began short, but hopefully reorienting and readying um, series called Running Into 2024 Like. Um, Dan did an insightful uh, and incisive, for me personally, incisive job last week, walking us through Hebrews 12 where we, because of the uh, cloud of witnesses uh, around us and the faithful who've gone before us, clinging to God in their moments, no matter what those moments were, um, that like them, we can run with endurance the race that is set out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then the part that was he really emphasized and, and I needed to hear personally was, and then throwing off all that you don't need so that we might run unencumbered. In, in fact, he encouraged us to consider what are the things in my life that are um, restricting me, weighing me down, causing me not to live the unencumbered life that the Lord would have um, for me. I mentioned the PLD um, in our, our welcome announcement time, uh, and I am, uh, to add to Eric's, uh, I love reflecting and thinking and kind of looking to the new year um, but I, but I several years back I, I I said forget trying to do it on a specific date, but take advantage of the turn of the season to reflect. And so we do have that PLD. That's not just something we put on a table. That's something uh, as leadership we do with one another. We encourage you to do it with your life group or a couple of trusted friends. Um, but it's just simply a way to take stock and take aim, or um, to chart out, as I said. And so. Um, for me, I, uh, one of the things we've added over the years uh, of the PLD is as you look back on 2022, big moments, seeing what, uh, what you've learned about God and yourself, what's one word you would put on it looking back at 2023? And then what's one word that you would put on 2024 as you kind of have inklings and a sense, what do you anticipate or hope to lean into and live into in 2024? And so... Um, for me, my word in 2023 was renewal. And I would tell you over and over, I see that the Lord answered that. Um, that was my desire. That's where I feel like the Lord was saying, you need, you need to be renewed in me. And we did the practicing his witness and way and those habits. And, I, and part of that was I was dragging you along in what I needed to grow in. And so renewal was that. And then I don't have my one word yet. Now, shocking, right? Buddy can't reduce words. No, I can. It just takes me time. 
And my, my one word um, is probably simplicity or singular, or it could be celebrate, because 2024 is huge for our church. We've become 20 years old. It's our 25th wedding anniversary. Uh, a child turns 16. A child graduates high school. A child, I mean, we got a lot of graduate, like, so it could be celebrate. Um, but I, I can tell you what my 2024 is in a phrase, and that's take off what you don't need. Take off what you don't need. Again, it matches what Dan was talking about. Take off that, you know, not only sin that easily entangles you, but just the weight, that, just the extra stuff and the stuff that we get caught up in and we, we go chasing tiny errands every which way and chasing distractions. Just take off what you don't need so you can lean into all that God really has uh, for you. Now, I want to ask you, next slide, without doing a PLD, this is a que- these are que- three questions that I ask, um, both if you come to me for premarital counseling or marital counseling or any kind of counseling, or it's just I'm just offering sounding board to a friend at a, a coffee shop. I just, the, these questions to me are, they're helpful to go, I, I just want to, I'm curious, I'm fascinated, like where are you right now? Or you, you've actually contacted me because you're like, I'm really troubled about something. I, I need to, I'm trying to figure out a fork in the road or whatever. I'll just say, okay, tell me, where, where are you? Where are we? So that's the question in the middle which is kind of like the PLD, like, where are you? And then, okay, now take me back. How did we get here? Are, like, I'm in a dead-end job. I hate it. My supervisor's after me, right? Okay, that's where you are. How do we get there? Well, you know, instead of just going, well, the boss is horrible and this, like, that might be true, but how do we get there? Or I'm in a, I'm a place of relational conflict. I'm, I'm in a place that's really troubling. How did we get there? Um, and that helps you sort through well, not, not, okay, how can you blame yourself for where you are? It's just like, what are all the things that, and factors that have contributed, the relationships that brought you to? Maybe you're in a place, like, like Eric was saying, you're in a good place. Man, how did you get there? Well, actually, I, it was almost none of my own doing. The Lord brought this one friend into my life who introduced me to the person who's now my, my boss. And then also, um, you know, we moved in the same neighborhood. And now, I mean, so we're in a great place because of this. And you see God's hand in it. So where are you? How do we get there? And what do you really want? Okay, so this question is helpful when you, um, let's say we're talking to um, just as a married couple. If you come in, you're like, oh my goodness, I feel horrible that we're even, I feel ashamed. Like, been there, done that. We have similar struggles in our marriage. Everybody does. So, uh, and I've heard almost all of it, I guess. So if that's ever the case, um, I'm saying, what do you really want? If you're in a place of trouble, if you're in a a fork in the road professionally, I don't know what to do now, and there's a lot of that right now, Uh, or or if you've got a relationship struggle, or you've got this this person you thought was like, we're lifelong friends or family members, and I feel like they are after me and undercutting me, okay? What do you really want? Because it doesn't do any good for, for, again, a situation, for me to say, well, here's what you should do. It would be, tell me what you really want. You're telling me it's troubling, but do you really, really want, like, well, what I really want is for them to be gone. What I really want is for them to be fired. What I really want is for them to get what's coming, right? That's a good start 
But actually, that's, that's, not, that's, that's still on the surface. Now, that's real. That's real like, ugh. But what do you really, really want? And I, I ask this question because most of us feel like this is a wrong question to ask. We feel like we don't have permission to say, what do I really long for? What do I really desire? If it's marriage, what do I want our marriage to really be like? Because some of us will do that because we don't feel like we have permission. And some of us will avoid that because like, well, that will mean some work on my part. So let me just keep it in the blame game area and tell you, here's the problem and here's how we got to the problem. And I'm just going to keep perpetuating it. I'm just going to keep, you know, bathing in it or whatever. So why am I saying all this? Well, um, as you look into 2024, I said, I anticipate, you know, this, this, Simplifying. I anticipate this. Take off what you don't need. What do you anticipate? Do you anticipate? Uh, hey, I've got some stuff. These are, these are kind of biggies. We've got some fork in the road decisions as a family or as a couple or, or, or you as a grad, you know, you're graduating high school or you're, you're you know, considering uh, moving into the, the workforce or whatever. What do you anticipate? For some of us, it might be, yeah, I anticipate a lot of transition in our family. I anticipate loss. I may have loved ones who, who die. I anticipate just difficulty and tedium of life because we've got this surgery and, and, and this surgery, and then we've got how are we going to deal with this financial situation? What is it for you as you anticipate going into 2024? Some of you, it's already breathing down your neck, and some of you, it's on the horizon, Okay. Now, why am I saying all this? Like, buddy, why don't you just get to the Bible? Well, it's because I don't want this to be an academic exercise and listening to God's word because I want it to be as he intended it, living and breathing and able to get into the phrase that I overuse is the nooks and crannies of life into the real stuff of life so that we might live the unencumbered life. Yes, fixing our eyes on Jesus but not in denial of everything else going around, but that he's with us in it, okay? So, as you anticipate, whatever that is for you, adventure, opportunity, trouble, difficulty, what's the one thing that you would ask God for? Is it, Lord, Lord can you just solve all these problems? Is it, could you actually literally take this person out of my life? Is it, could you, could you, you know, make the path easy for me? Could you rescue me out of it? It is really troubling. What is the one thing that you would ask the Lord for as you anticipate this year? I'm asking that because if for you it's like, well, yeah, we anticipate a lot of transition, uncertainty, confusion, frustration, trouble, then you're in a good place because that's what David is in as we go to Psalm 27. He's in a hard hard, not just moment, but it's a hard season. Life is confusing, threatening, and troubling. And what is the one thing he desired, and what's the one thing he asked for? We're going to read together. I'm actually going to have you stand. You're just about to get in your sermon nap. You got to stand up. And we're going to read in unison Psalm 20. Sometimes we'll have scripture readers up here. You're the scripture readers today. Everybody stand up. We're going to read in unison Psalm 27 with that in mind. Whatever season you're going into, what's the one thing you would ask for? David, in a season of trouble, what's the one thing? See if you can spot what's the one thing he asked for. Let's read this together. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamped against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Uh, verse 7. No. There we go. <laughs> Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Psalm 27 is one of many of David's in the day of trouble psalms. He seems to be troubled and encamped against and pursued by enemies all the time. So maybe it's not so luxurious to be king or peaceful. Um, but he, I want us to see in this psalm that he rehearses his confidence in the Lord while facing besieging attacks from without. And then also we heard it in the middle of it as he faces these intermittent whispered fears that we all have from within. That little voice inside your head that no one hears and yet holds the most sway of your life. We'll talk more about that next week. But both are happening. He's being attacked from without and occasionally has these intermittent like doubting, not sure what to do here. I, I, I was confident, now I'm living a little bit shaky. It's real life. And he exercises his faith in the Lord to help him practice the Lord's witness and yield himself to the Lord's way in the midst of, not escaping from, in the midst of the trouble he's in. And so I want us to hear that summary as we move into this. I've, I've entitled this, um, One Thing, Lord. 
Did you spot what the one thing was? He didn't, he didn't say, hey, get me out of this. Now, that wouldn't be a wrong prayer, and he does pray that elsewhere. But he says in the midst of it, there's one thing he asked for. We'll get to that again in a moment. But I, the under um, the subtitle there, I just from David Guzik, I, I, I appreciated his words here. He called it a song of confidence in a season of trouble. And isn't that what, let's, let's not talk about you for a moment. Isn't that what you want for your children? I mean, I know our, the parent nerve goes, let me protect them from all danger and all failure and all embarrassment and all, right? But really, ultimately, don't we want, again, not about you yet, just talk about your children. Don't you want them to be resilient? Well, don't you want them to be radiant in the midst of ugliness? And because what would that signify? It would signify there's something in you that the world doesn't possess, that the world doesn't, it can't come through and all its offers, it can't give that sense of wholeness and poise and confidence that only can come from the Lord. And that's what this psalm is. Uh, a psalm is, is, a, is a song, uh, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's poetry. And so let me be very careful here. They're not, to be, they're not meant to be overanalyzed. Um, they're, they're meant to give voice to your and my deepest longings, that ache in you. Uh, to, to give voice to the cries of your heart, whatever season you're in. If you're in a season of, of, of wow, it's kind of a good time. They're, they're psalms of thanksgiving. But when you're in a really troubled time, there's songs of, psalms of lament. Um, there's psalms of praise. There's psalms of utter dependence. And this is kind of a mixture of them, but it's a, it's a psalm of trouble. But what I want to say, and I believe Eric even said this in, in before the, the third song, the psalms not, are not only meant to give voice, but they're also meant to be internalized and to fortify or redirect our hope. And that's what this psalm is. Again, I want you to even hear, he was not totally on kilter. He was off kilter some. So we read this and go, ah, well, David, you know, I mean, he starts out, the Lord is my light and my salvation. That's not how I feel today. Sometimes he starts out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So, some days it's good to start with where he starts, and some days it's good to go, and then hopefully the Lord brings us around. Some psalms never come around. That's scary for some of us. And yet it's real. And so in the midst of the day of trouble, when life doesn't make sense, when life doesn't feel safe, when life gets ugly, how do you respond? How does David respond? Again, don't want to overanalyze. I'm going to give you a really quick frame, and then really what we're going to do is kind of see some themes threaded through it, and then come around and say, what's the Lord trying to encourage you and me with as we move into 2024? And what's he wanting to do with the deepest longing and desire in your heart that he put there if you are his? Uh, so the, a simple frame uh, one, th one through six is David rehearses his confidence and seeks one thing. And then seven to 12, I'm saying he gets a little shaky for a moment, and it's a prayer of crying out. David cries out for God's reliable and real help in real and hostile, threatening time. He goes to God's track 
a track record of trustworthiness and says, you have been my help, so therefore you're the one I can bank on. And then verses um, 13 and 14, David re-strengthens himself to wait for the Lord in courageous trust, and he invites originally his community, and he invites you and me to do the same in verse 14. And so first of all, David rehearses his confidence. Uh, I just, in my own journal, um, several weeks back, um, I just went through and said, okay, what's, what's David doing here to navigate this hard time? And it, it begins with he rehearses his confidence in the Lord's character. He actually talks about, I shall be or I will be confident. And then I believe in the, I will see the, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And, and he talks about there's a confidence. It comes from rehearsing that his confidence is in the Lord. His trust is in the Lord. What he thinks will hold when all of life is shaking is not anything but the Lord. And so he rehearses his confidence. And what I, what I did was go, okay, well, he's rehearsing his confidence who the, in who the Lord is or has been and what the Lord will do based on who he is or what he has promised. So first of all, David rehearses his confidence in the, that the Lord is and Lord has been. Again, just let your eye go down the page. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's the defense or stronghold of my life. Also, because he's approaching God, he's saying that the Lord is approachable. He's receptive and responsive to your asks. That doesn't mean he's on the hook for your ask, but he's receptive to it. In fact, he wants you to get there. He wants to say, where are you? Well, I'm really angry, I'm frustrated, and I, frankly, I feel like you've left me out to dry. Okay, great. What do you really want? That's where you are. What do you really want? He's saying the Lord is seekable. The Lord is beautiful. The Lord is behold-worthy. The Lord is available for inquiry and communing together. And then has been, the Lord has been my help. We sang that in multiple songs. He is our shelter. He is our help. Also, he rehearses his confidence in that the Lord will do some things. What will he do? The Lord will conceal me in the day of trouble. The Lord will hide me in the secret place of his tent. The Lord will lift me up on a rock, and a rock means a place of firm footing. It's not quicksand, it's not mud. And the Lord will lead me on a level path, verse 11. Teach me your way and then lead me uh, in a level place or a level path. And so David is rehearsing these things. I'm going to come back to a little bit of what he rehearses. But now I want us to see um, really the, the heart of the psalm is verse 4. It's, it's essence, that one thing he has. So David not only rehearses his confidence, but he seeks one singular desire. And it should at least be like, wait a second, is he living in fantasy land? Like, you, you want to go to the temple, which by the way for him wasn't the temple temple, it was the tabernacle and there's multiple references, we don't have time to go into it, but you can look at it in his tent, in his temple in his tabernacle, all of that is about the Lord dwelling closely okay, and David uh, says his singular desire, one thing I ask and I will seek from the Lord and then he tells us what that is, look at the verse 4, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek. This will be my pursuit. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever or all the days of my life. 
Later, he says, I, I, would, unless, I, I would have despaired unless I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that means in my day-to-day life. I believe that means in real life. I would have completely despaired unless I believed, unless there was something to hold on to with confidence that I would see the Lord's goodness. I call it his tangible kindnesses in my day-to-day life. And David says, I want to seek after you so that I might dwell with you, might practice your witness is what I've been saying. Jesus tells us apart from that, you can do nothing that has any value. He says, uh, you know, that we're the branches. He's the vine. We're to abide in him. If we don't abide in him, we're not dwelling with him. We're not keeping that close connection with him. Life might be full of accomplishments and stuff, but it's not of substance and satisfaction and ultimate eternal value. He says, what I want is to dwell with you. Also to behold the beauty of the Lord. We're going to look at this more next week um, in a different passage. But you've heard this a lot the last year with us. Um, I said it on Christmas Eve, the essence of the Christian faith is not to behave, but to behold and believe. That's good news. You don't have to get out of here and go, you know what, I do, I need to behave better. Well, I mean, that's a good desire to to, to want to, you know, kind of get, get your stuff in order. But it's for what purpose? And and ultimately, it's to behold and believe, to trust and to be strengthened in the confidence that comes from being in his presence and beholding the beauty of the Lord. But we become what we behold. Again, I keep pushing everything to next week. We're going to talk a lot about what worries us, what weighs us down next week. What we behold, we will become. So if right now I'm constantly irritated, frustrated, um, quick triggered, then that's an indicator of my beholding. Or at least it's an invitation to go, let's look at how and who we're behold, what we're beholding. And if it's to become more um, beautiful ourselves, more fruitful ourselves, more gentle, more kind. That's probably like Eric was talking about. That, you know, I want to be more gentle and more generous. Okay, great. Behold your generous God. Behold your good God who withholds no good thing. But if I feel envious, if I feel like I'm, I, uh, everybody else has got the great Instagrammable life and mine is just the pits, then I need to go back to going, I must not be beholding God as good and faithful and generous and kind. And as I begin to shift my gaze to him, those are things of beauty. Those are things that are inherently good and beautiful And God, because he's perfect, he is perfect beauty, which is why we can't ultimately look on him, otherwise we'll be consumed. And yet we can, because we're not seeing him face to face literally, we can behold who he is, who he's revealed himself to be in the scriptures and in his son Jesus and be transformed because we're beholding him. It's interesting that in the midst of ugliness, he says, I'm going to seek beholding beauty. And the ultimate beauty is in the Lord. I want you to hear this. 
This is not denial of reality. This is in the midst of it. He doesn't deny it's hard. He doesn't deny it's troubling. But he does say, I know that I'm prone when life makes me go and pucker. I'm going to go to solutions real quick. I'm going to go to fix it real quick. And he says, fix your eyes on him. That's what I'm seeking, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And he says to meditate in his temple. Some of your translations say, and to inquire in his temple. Um, literally, it's not the temple temple, because that's when his son Solomon builds it. But you have the tent or the tabernacle where God says, I will cause my presence to dwell, and you'll come and be with me and commune and worship. And meditate or inquire, it's, it's literally the root is actually related to I shall seek. So it's I'm going to the place of seeking to, to foster this relationship with you. So I can inquire, I can ask things, uh, I can meditate on who you are, but it, the idea is communing. Beholding is attuning. I'm going to attune to you. And how quickly our minds go zigzagging every which way, right? Or they go right back to our trouble. And he says, I know what I need to do is lock in on him and attune to him. Again, maybe the last time I'll say it. We're going to talk more about that next week. But I do want to read this quote from um, Kurt Thompson. He's a Christian um, psychologist, neuroscientist. You would think I'm not smart enough to read guys like that, but man, he blows me away. Um, and he has a book called The Soul of Desire. And he talks about this passage from chapter after chapter after chapter. But he talks about how difficult it is when, you, when life causes you to wince or pucker or life is on cloud nine like, like Eric was talking about, we can kind of forget God. Attuning to him, attending to him is very difficult. He says, in the age of the internet, we are learning, in fact, we are practicing how not to pay attention. We are, trained, uh, we are being trained to be unable to maintain attunement. That means to lock in. We're unable to maintain attunement to a whole host of things whose flourishing depends on our paying attention for extended periods of time. In other, in other words, the things that really matter and that are really satisfying, really God-honoring and life-giving, you know what those things are? We are, we are incapacitating, incapacitating ourselves to be able to attune to them. And therefore, you know what life is? It's as empty as the other things we pursue that can never satisfy he says, our mind's relationship with the intended distracting features of our devices as mediated by their touchscreens is changing, physically changing our brains and our behavior in such a way that we are now distressed anytime we have to spend 15 to 30 seconds without stimulus from outside of our mind, hence our constant checking for text or email. He's just saying what David is talking about is, this, is the very desire he, God put in you and me. To, to dwell with him, to attune to him and take in his beauty and beholding his beauty will be transformed and become beautiful, become beautified by him and communing with him, we are strengthened and fortified for the very life of radiance and resilience that we would desire and that God purposes for you and me. And yet that's part of our struggle. Instead of beating yourself up, what I, what, I want you to, what I want you to hear is what David most desires and says he goes after is actually the distillation of or the distilling of what is your deepest and my deepest longing and desire. And that's, 
to know God, but really it's, from the human standpoint, it's to be known. To be known and then to not be abandoned because in knowing you, it's like, eh. To be known and to be loved and to be supported, to be hidden, to be protected, to be provided. And, and Thompson says this, and we, we have this from, from babies. We're born with the, the need to um, be seen, be soothed. That's why it's so important for a baby to have its parents around, if at all possible, for physical touch, for eye contact particularly, to be seen, to be soothed, and to be safe. That means now that I've grown in the attachment with my parent, um, and an attunement from them with me, that relationship strengthens me to have that sense of safety. And then security is really um, uh, that sense of confidence because it's now that I've been seen by the Lord and I've been soothed by him that he tells me and reminds me who I am in Christ. Then, then that gives me that sense of confidence that I can now go and participate in creating and cultivating beauty in the world that God purposes you be part of. When Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good work. These are works of beauty. When there's a beautiful song and you weep, God intended that, and it came through that gifted person. Or when you can't sing a lick, but you can listen like nobody's business, and you ask the question to a friend and you're introverted as all get out, but you can listen for, for three hours while they weep and tell you that's beauty. And that's why it captivates us. Uh, I went and saw the Boys in the Boat movie. I'm not going to spoil it. But there's beauty in the story. That's why, that's what he says he's after. And that's what you and I are after. Why Ecclesiastes 3.11? That God has put an eternity in our hearts. He's placed eternity in your heart. Eternity meaning that which is everlasting, that which is beautiful and perfect and harmonious. And when all of life doesn't make sense, part of why it doesn't make sense is because God put a homing beam in you that says when life is with God, it makes total sense. And he'll make it total, make total sense one day. And so that's what the longing is in each of our hearts. When David says, that's what I'm going to seek, and then, therefore, the next one I, in my journal, I said, all right, well, because of who the Lord is and what the Lord will do or has promised to do, David says, I will not be afraid. I will seek his face. I will seek and solicit his grace and his answer. That's his prayer in verse 7. I will seek his instruction. He says, um, teach me your way. I'm going to talk about that in a second. And then he says, I will believe and shall be confident. Verse 3 and verse 13. I will believe and practice the Lord's presence, goodness, and grace in real day-to-day life with its fears and dreads, threats, and despair-inducing times. David says, I will not be afraid. Listen, his, he's not unafraid because he's king and has a lot of power and an army at his disposal. He's actually unafraid because he's gotten with God and been reassured and reminded and remembered that he's a child of God. And that God doesn't love him because he wears a crown. God doesn't love him because he can snap his fingers and make something happen for me. 
God says, I've set my love upon you. I've set my affection upon you. And so he's unafraid because he's known by his heavenly Father. That's also why verses 1 and 2, we said, man, it's kind of a Christianese way to start, David. You're in a day of trouble, but you say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Remember that song? Um, That's theology, good theology, except for, I, I, I thank Paul Tripp for this, pointing this out. Not personally, he didn't call me. I just listened to a message of his. Um, notice that when he rehearses that, the Lord is light, purity, reality, truth, um, that he's salvation. That means to deliver, to rescue, sometimes just physically. The bus is about to hit you, pull you out of the deal. Sometimes it's spiritually. Sometimes it's emotionally. Some, but he's my salvation, and he's the stronghold. That means a refuge, something you can run to, and it's a physically fortified place where you can't be harmed. It's a shelter. But here's what I want you to hear. There's a word that's three times in verses one and two. Or is it just one? The two lines. It's the word my. David doesn't walk around confident because he's like, well, I know I can access and go to the allenbible.org website and I can look at the doctrinal statement and I can tell you what I believe. No, he's exercising to rehearse something. I mean, the worship team rehearses. They don't have to do that. I mean, Eric sings in the shower. That's a good enough rehearsing. Like, why do you do that? Well, it's, it's to tune up. And it's also, why do we sing? Why don't we just get in here and do other stuff? Because it's strange to the world that we sing. Why? Because we're rehearsing who our God is and who we are to him and what he has for us in Christ. And David says, you're my light, my stronghold. He says, I will seek your face or your presence. He's practicing God's witness when trouble hits. Here's my question, and we're almost done. When life gets ugly, where do you go? When life makes you afraid, that's human. Stop feeling guilty about that. Nehemiah felt it. He says, I was afraid, so I prayed. And then he went before the king who could have lopped his head off. Where do you go? Where do you go when life is confusing, when life is uncertain, when you're feeling distressed or stressed? Where do you go? Because wherever you and I go, we end up beholding there. And whatever we behold, we become like. Or at least it distracts us from beholding that which would fortify us and give us life. David says, I'm going to seek your face. Lord, you tell me to seek your face. I'm going to seek it. He also seeks God's aiming. Look at verse 11. Um, the, he, uh, the, the English doesn't help us very much. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. He wants things to be as smooth as possible. He wants the Lord to work things out. But he really wants to, to go the level way, the right way, the resilient and Christ-radiant way in spite of the circumstances. Teach there can also be translated aim or direct me, and it's an archer's term. Isn't that fascinating? He says, Lord, not only do I want to be seen and soothed and all that, kind of be, you know, be reminded of I'm a child. No, I know that you have, as your child, you still have purposes for me to represent you in the midst of this season. Not, well, it's a hard season, so I take a season off. It's in the midst of the season 
that I might glorify his name by trusting him, being fortified by him, and being aimed by him. What do you really want? What are you really after? I want to be aimed in a singular direction. And that direction starts with, I want to dwell with you and behold your beauty and meditate or commune with you as you're present with me. But he says, I want you to aim me. And if you feel like life is aimless, pray this prayer. But have that picture in your mind that when you're praying it, it doesn't mean just get me out of wiggling from this trouble. It means, Lord, put me on your bow and aim me. That's why also in Deuteronomy, parents, our responsibility is to basically whet your arrows with how you teach our, we teach our children when we not wink from the pulpit, when we walk by the way, when we rise up, when we go to sleep. We're to, we're to, we're to wet the arrows because part of our job is to participate with God in how he is aiming each child, each person. And so we're not just looking to get out of the situation. We're looking to commune with our Lord and have him aim us, which is why he says in a couple of verses, um, verse three, though a host encamp with me, though war, he says, I shall be, or some of you say, yet I will be confident. And though this is happening, even then I will trust you. Gazing at the Lord's beauty, being seen, soothed, safe, and secure. He's being strengthened in the Lord. That's why he says, verse 13, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Most of your translations don't say I would have despaired. That's the NASB's way of trying to say in the context of rough stuff, where we can tend to go is despair. We tend to go toward despair because we're only locking in our attention and beholding that which would despair us. He's not saying act like it doesn't exist. The word that, that is there in the Hebrew is unless. Unless I believed, I would see, then I'm going to go a sinking direction. I'm going to go a self-centered direction, a self-protecting direction. He says, but I believe I'll see the goodness of the Lord in my day-to-day and in this season. And then he can say, therefore, I'm strengthened and he can invite us, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Again, this isn't sit around and, and do nothing. This is an act, when you, when um, a thief lies in wait, oh, they, got, they got aims and they're poised and they're ready. Or when you wait for um, you parents who have kids off to college, when you wait for them to come home, oh, your waiting looks like cooking their favorite foods and looking out the window and texting them, endlessly bugging the stew out of them because you can't wait for them to get home. That's what the idea is. That I'm on, I'm in eager anticipation of God's good hand in my life. I don't know what that, that doesn't require him of a certain circumstance change. It just, I believe he, his good hand will be on me in this situation. And that gives me heart or courage. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to say, one thing in this. David himself is basically, the key to enduring this rough situation is entrusting himself again and again to God. He says, I want to dwell with you, practice your witness, seek your face, and seek you aiming me. But Jesus does, does that in, in First Peter. Peter reminds us that Jesus gave us an example. When life gets ugly or hard or testing, he says he gave us an example for suffering. This is how you go through the tough stuff. And how did he do it? 
When he was threatened, he didn't utter threats in return, but he kept entrusting himself to the Father who judges righteously. And that's what David's trying to do. And that's what you and I can do. You do have a choice to your response to a a horrible situation, a rough season, uncertainty. The response, the choice, there are lots of choices our world offers that will give temporary satisfaction, dopamine, that can lead to despair. And then there's a choice to say, the one thing I want, Lord, even if everything else falls apart, I want to dwell with you. I want to gaze on your beauty in the midst of this ugliness. And I want to commune with you so that I might represent you. Jesus did that. He kept entrusting himself to the Father, endured the cross. And that cross, his taking our place on it, frees us from sin's penalty and power and frees us to live with confidence that he is with us and he is for us. I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to give you a pre-benediction because the song is actually a benediction from numbers about um, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. But I want to, um, I'm going to read a pre-benediction and then Eric, we're dismissed after you read the song. Here's the pre-benediction from John O'Donohue in a poem he wrote. It says, blessed be the longing that brought you here. You realize you showed up with longing this morning? Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. May you come to accept your longing as divine urgency. And may you know the urgency with which God longs for you. And then as he says here in the psalm, when life gets ugly or good, may the Lord grant you strength and courage as you rehearse his goodness, as you seek his face, as you seek his aiming of you into the purposes he has even in what you think are purposeless circumstances. May he grant you strength and courage to wait on him and be strengthened by him. Be encouraged by this song we're now going to sing, which is a benediction, so that you can navigate whatever season or week you're walking through.